Good morning, everybody. It's wonderful to be with you on this Sunday. If you're just joining us, uh, my name is Dean Barham, and I am honored to be uh, the lead minister here and serve you in this church. Encourage you to uh, spend a little time, hang out with us after, grab some coffee in the Welcome Center, give us a chance to, to get to know you. Uh, we are uh, kind of wrapping up a little mini-series we thought would be good to do at the beginning of the year, uh, ministry year and the school year, just kind of asking this question, why are we on the planet? What is, what is it that God's called us to do and be in this place? And we use this, uh, this little visual we call the Discipleship Pathway that lays out kind of a picture of what our vision and our, our purpose is for this. And um, we actually had some folks that, uh, that helped us a little card um, together that, that, that has the scriptures that are core for that and a visual on, on the front. Um, and so it's outside. I encourage you to grab one, maybe stick it in your Bible, stick it on your refrigerator. Um, we don't care about kind of the bumper sticker statement. That's not the point. This is a vision that I encourage you to pray into and just continue to ask that question. What is it that God is inviting us to do as a next step on our journey with God? And some of you are brand new. You don't even Know whether you buy into this God thing or not, great. Just come and listen and, and open up Scripture and seek the God that will show up. We trust that He will. But if you're joining us on this journey, then this is just a picture of what it looks like. What Our vision statement, our dream here is that everybody that we have some influence um, with in Brian Call Station or around the world, we're going to invite them to find hope and live with purpose. Right? We want to have this hope in this world. <clears throat> we talk about the hope is not just some random thing comes out of Colossians 1 in the Bible where Jesus says, I'm restoring all things. God, God is restoring all things and renewing all things in this broken world in Christ. He's bringing things together. It's not just going to heaven when you die. More on that again in a moment. And we're living out some sense of purpose. God invites us to be part of that renewal and reconciliation uh, work that he's doing in the world. And so we're just inviting us to think about that. And then we have this pathway here. How do we do this? Well, we think about these three relationships, really. These are language here, but these images here give you three relationships. One, meeting up with God. How do we connect with God? We do it collectively. This gathering matters. We are practicing being the people of God here. But we also meet God individually in our personal spiritual practices. We plug into community, and that could be kind of in increasing levels of commitment as you get more and more comfortable. You may start with a kind of a Bible class or a big group that, like that that makes this room a little bit smaller. You may move to a small group setting where people can start getting to know each other a little bit. And kind of the deepest place where we practice out living our walk with Jesus are these things we call discipleship groups, groups of three or four or something that, that say, let's practice what it looks like to have the life of God come out in our everyday lives. And then we're going to talk today about this last movement of living this out. And so the, the core passage that I want to tie to that part of our journey is in Acts chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, I love the way one guy said it, on paper or pixels, you may turn to it. Uh, Acts chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord from the book of Acts. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. 
On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men, <clears throat> excuse me, dressed in white, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I suspect that you have people like this in your life, but they, we all tend to know somebody like this. There are some people that just seem to have a vision that spans the years, right? There's some people that have this ability to kind of see and imagine into the future. They're living right here now, but they can see what's coming up. They can see opportunities. They can imagine possibilities. And this could be in families. It could be in churches. It can be in businesses. It could be in lives. Got a dear friend of mine, he describes himself as a serial entrepreneur. <laughs> He's already always starting something new, starting some new venture, some new business. He talked one time about the business he was in when I first met him. He had started a brand new business in kind of a technology area, and it was blowing and going, doing great stuff. And if you were just kind of looking at the books and just imagining, for most of us, we think, just keep doing that. But he had a sense that this thing is going on the decline. I'm going to get out of this now, and I'm going to start a whole new business, whole new industry. And now that one's exploding, and he's putting people under him. And he's told me about his vision for the next five years to be able to sell that off and then be poised to do the next thing. And by the way, he's not just patting his wallet and his 401k. This guy has a kingdom vision and he's continually investing in God's kingdom work in the world. I love people like that. Have a vision. They can just see beyond the years. One of my favorite examples of this is a guy named Lloyd Wright. Back in the middle of the 20th century, he's an architect that had an idea for a chapel. He wanted to design this chapel. And here's the beginning of it. It's out in California, and this is the way it began. His vision was, though, to create a chapel where people could come and pray and contemplate and worship and connect to God. His vision was, I want them to contemplate the Almighty God and the creation that he made. And the way he designed it intentionally was, it's all made of glass. And at the beginning, he's got a few of these trees here, but his vision was that it would actually grow to become a different thing. Let me read some of his visionary language at the beginning. He said, when the trees that surround the chapel grow up, they will become the framework around the building. Part of the trees and branches that inevitably arise from the growing trees next to it. He said, I use the glass so that the natural growth and sky and sea beyond become part of the definition of their environment. This will give the congregation, he said, a sense of being inside and outside at the same time. What a beautiful picture, right? 
And then on the website, when it describes it, it says now, this was planted now over 70 years ago. And in the last couple of decades, listen to this language, the redwoods have just now begun to reach their maturity. Thus becoming the living roof and walls of the enclosed glass space. And what was once just a transparent structure made entirely of triangular glass has now become part of a thick grove of coastal redwood trees emphasizing Wright's original intent. Seventy years ago, he planted that, and that's what it looks like now. Isn't that awesome? So he made it all of glass so that one day the trees would literally become the walls around the structure. And then the next slide shows you that the roof, it is creating a canopy over the building. And so the roof, even though it's technically glass, it really is the trees above it. Isn't that amazing? He saw that in his mind 70 years ago. I don't know about you, but if you ever get just blown away by the visionary creativity of human architects and designers, what do you do about this God? What do you do with this God who plans and plants things but is willing to wait for generations to be able to come to a visible sense of the fruition of that? He's been working for years. And we come to this passage that's written by Dr. Luke. If you've read some of his writings before, if you're new to Christianity and you're just reading this for the first time or hearing it for the first time, understand this early disciple of Jesus inspired by God to give us two books of the Bible. Sometimes you'll hear people say that the person who wrote the most of the New Testament is a guy named Paul. In one sense, that's true. He wrote more books than anybody else, but a lot of people don't realize that Luke actually wrote more words. So the most prolific author that we have telling us the story of Jesus is Luke. And he wrote Luke volume 1, which we call the book of Luke, and Luke volume 2, which we just began reading, we call the book of Acts. And one of Luke's favorite things to remind us is this visionary picture of God. And one of the things he will tell us from the very beginning is that God is up to something. God is doing something powerful. God has been working and designing and it's beginning to come to fruition. And you listen to the way he talks about in the beginning and the ending of both of his books, you see this, one of his favorite words. In Luke chapter 1, he tells probably the person who helped pay for the publication of the book, a guy named Theophilus, you heard him address him here as well, early disciple of Jesus, he says in Luke chapter 1, in the first volume, he said, many have undertaken to draw up an account to tell the story of Jesus of the things that, listen to this word, the things that have been fulfilled among us. In other words, what he's thinking about in the vision of Jesus and the work and the ministry of Jesus is that everything that has gone before from Genesis to Malachi is like the designs and the plans that Lord Wright did for that chapel that was going to come to fruition later on. God is painting pictures and he's planting seeds and he's drawing up plans that when Jesus comes onto the scene, Luke says, it's being fulfilled. Now you see the trees becoming the walls. You see the canopy becoming the roof in this moment. He said, these things have been fulfilled among us. Jesus himself uses the same language at the end of the book of Luke. He's walking on a road with two people. We know it is the road to Emmaus. 
And this couple is walking and they're distraught because they don't know what's going on after the death of Jesus. And Jesus comes up and has a conversation with them and they realize who it is. And Jesus says this to them, everything that was written about me in the law and the prophets throughout the whole Old Testament, the design and the blueprint of God had to be, ready for the word? Fulfilled in me. And this coming on the scene of Jesus and the work of his life is the fulfillment of God's dream that he had planted generations before. And what he's telling us is that God is up to something in this moment. And then you come to this place here in the book of Acts and he says, Jesus says, after the resurrection, wait for the gift of the power of the Holy Spirit that my father promised. And so where we find ourselves right in this passage in the book of the Luke is we're on the edge of our seats, seeing what God is fulfilling in this particular present moment. And it says Jesus is going around in those last days in his physical body on earth saying the same things he did at the beginning of his ministry. Do you know his major topic that he kept talking about? It says here in those 50 days he was speaking about what? The kingdom of God. We've mentioned this before, let me just say it again. We make that out to be so super spiritual and we don't totally get it. We finally have a king again now, not that he's the greatest king in the world, I don't know, but at least we can play with that image a little bit more. All a kingdom is, is a realm or a region where a king is ruling and where the rule is coming out. It's when, as one writer put it, a king is kinging, <laughs> wherever that is happening. Wherever the vision of the king and the rule of the king is coming out in a particular place, that's a kingdom. And throughout scripture, Jesus keeps talking about the Old Testament was the plan and the vision of God's kingdom being all over the earth. Now, in one sense, we know God rules it all, but we also know first three words out of the mouth of God after he created human beings, you are free. So he will not force his kingdom reign on you. You get to choose it. So until the time that King Jesus comes back, we see realms of the world that are not living under the rule and the reign of God, and we see realms that are. Simple way to put it is when the world looks the way the Creator God intended it to look, there, Jesus said, there, there is the kingdom of God. And he was talking about it from the very beginning, and here as he's about to go back up to heaven, he's talking about again kingdom of God. We've said this so many times, let me say it again. Our message to the world is not go to heaven one day when you die. That is a pathetic, weak gospel. The announcement is the king is kinging and you get to be a part of it. It's incredibly powerful. We're invited into it. And that's part of the picture that's going on right here, right now. By the way, We've said this before, too. When Jesus goes around doing miracles, he's not just giving um, a, a visual aid to make you pay attention to him. What he's doing is showing you what looks like in the kingdom of God. People that are broken get healed. People that are left out get included. People that are dead come to life again. That is the kingdom of God. Now, I'm going to start a story that at the end, I'm going to come back and finish. So if I walk off without telling you the end of the story, just say, hey, Dean, you forgot this because that's totally possible. <laughs> but I remember I was working um, in, in Lubbock. There was a friend of mine that was a fellow campus minister as well, just a passionate guy. His name is also Luke. 
So in addition to the inspired writer here, my friend Luke, just had a gift for, for connecting with people and sharing Jesus with people in natural and organic ways. Part of it is he just believed that God was doing things in the world, right? Get what we just said, what Luke is saying here in the Bible, my friend Luke believed God is up to something in the world. So one day he walked down to the student center. He just said, I'm going to go to the student center because I believe God's up to stuff in the world. And he prayed, God, can you use me in this environment? I just want to be a, a blessing and encouragement, a benefit to somebody. He's walking in there. Do you know God will actually answer those prayers? And he came in and he just noticed this student that was sitting over in the back and something inside of him, you know, God will lead you if you let him, something inside of him said, you got to go talk to that guy. So he sat down. His, his name was Clay. He said, what are you up to, Clay? What are you doing today? Never thought he'd hear this. Clay said, well, you know, I'm getting ready for my initiation tonight because tonight I'm becoming a witch. Didn't sign up for that conversation, did he? By the way, I didn't know guys could become witches too. I thought it was warlock or something like that. I don't know what's going on, but they all are witches. Again, God will lead you if you let him. And at the moment, he's just like, okay, I don't know what to do with this. But something inside of him said, ask him about his father. He did. He said, I'm just curious, man. I'm just, I'm just, just curious. You know, tell me about your dad. He said, oh, my dad? Ah, horrible, horrible father. He said, oh, he's left us now. He's since abandoned the family. But when he was there, he was oppressive and he was cruel and he was always shoving me down. No surprise, by the way, why he's going into this group of people. Why? Because he's longing to belong and he's longing to be in a place that has power in his life. So again, I'm going to pause here, but I want to encourage you to think about what is it that you would share and offer to Clay in that moment that would be better than what he was planning to do that night. And can I tell you this with all the force I can give you? If all Luke offered him was a destination after he died, you get to go to heaven after you die, I think Luke, uh, Clay would have just said, kept gone on and been a witch. What would you offer him? What story would you tell him that would be more compelling and more inviting than the one he was invited to offer? Just think about that for a moment. We'll come back to it later. Luke is convinced this, Luke. God is up to something in the world, but here's the thing that I find so compelling in the language he uses here. He says, if you are like me, I'm thinking, wow, this is great when Jesus, the resurrection is fresh and the Bible still hasn't been finished, been written and all this stuff is going on. That was great back then. But you know what Luke tells us in this passage? God's just getting started. He's just getting started with this kingdom thing. How do I see this? There's one word that just leaps off the page to me. And if you look at it in this passage we just read, listen and pay attention to how he describes the first book he wrote that we know is the book of Luke. He says, Theophilus, in my former book, I wrote about uh, everything from the beginning of Jesus until he was ascended up to heaven. This is what he says. I wrote about all that Jesus, are you ready for the word? All that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. Now pay attention, this is enormous. What is the whole book of Luke about? And he just told you. The book of Luke, if you go read this, it is from predictions of Jesus' birth until the ascension. You get him ascended in the book of Luke and then he tells the story again in the book of Acts. 
Jesus' entire ministry from predictions of his birth till his ascension into heaven, and Luke says it is what? Just the beginning of what Jesus was doing and teaching. What does that tell us? He's not finished. Jesus is not finished doing kingdom work. He's not finished giving kingdom promises and invitations. He's not done yet. By the way, Luke loves to point this out in the way that he tells his story. If you go to the end of the book of Luke, we're looking at the end, the beginning and the end of both books, the end of the book of Luke, it just kind of stops. He's telling the story of a guy named Paul that we know, and he's doing mission work all over the place. Paul ends up in jail. It's kind of like a house jail. He ends up in jail, and it just ends. The story ends. Have you ever done this before? Have you ever put your, set your DVR to tape maybe a game or something like that, or you set it to, like, um, to, to film a movie or something, like record a movie or whatever, and you came back and realized the time got screwed up? Has that ever happened to you? Some of you shaking your head? And then you're sitting down, you're watching, you get down to the end, you're ready to see the end, and then it just stops? And it's gone like you don't have the next one, right? That's how the book of Acts is. Did you know that? It just ends. Paul's in prison. We don't know what happens to him now. Uh, it's interesting to hear people debate about it. Some folks say that Luke reached the end of his scroll. It's totally possible. You know, they didn't have word processors to keep going. They got the end of the scroll. I'm done. Some think this is fairly likely. He, maybe that's he just wrote up into the present moment, and we don't know what happens next. He didn't know what happens next. I didn't tell him. He just stopped there. I like the artistry of it, though. You know how the book ends? The book of Acts ends saying, Paul's in jail. He's in prison. And guess what he's talking about to everybody that's around him? The kingdom of God. As if to say, not just when Jesus went up to heaven, he's not done. As if to say, when we tell the story of the early church and they get to the end of the story, it's still not done. The story of God kinging and reigning and bringing order and his visions and his dreams coming together in our lives isn't finished. Resurrection isn't done. You know what Paul, the word Paul uses to describe this? He calls it first fruits. What is the first fruits of something? In their culture, very agricultural uh, culture, when they had a harvest, they would give of their first fruits. And that was sending a message. It was really important. That's one of the reasons that followers of Jesus for a long time have practiced this thing called tithing. I'm not asking for your money. I'm just telling you there's a practice that is really powerful because it's saying something to God when we give, not at the end after we bought all of our donuts and our football tickets, but at the beginning we give to God. We're saying something. What did it say for a farmer to give a percentage of the first of their crop? It's saying something to God. What is it saying? Some of you know this. What is it? We're expecting that this is just the beginning. God's going to give more. It's first fruits. We're expecting more. We're trusting you, God. What does it mean for Paul to say the resurrection of Jesus' body is the first fruits? Resurrection isn't finished. Why does that matter? Is there any place in your life, someone in your life, some situation in your world that feels like that chapel back in 1949 and it feels empty and it feels desolate and it feels undergrown and unfinished? Is there anything in your life that feels like, man, I had all these dreams and these hopes, but it's not there yet? Listen to me. God isn't 
finished kinging and resurrecting dead things and bringing his plans and his visions to fulfillment. The kingdom of God is expanding even as we speak. He's just getting started. Now, I think Luke knows the way that we might tend to end up in churches because it happens all the time. The posture of the disciples in this first story is often the posture of the church. Did you catch what they were doing after Jesus ascends? By the way, don't rush past the ascension. Is a really powerful thing. Ascension doesn't mean Jesus is checking out and leaving us. It means he is sitting down at the right hand of God and he's reigning as king of the world. And we don't see it completely, but he is sending his kingdom reign in the power of his Holy Spirit to expand more and more. The ascension's really powerful. But what are they doing at the end of the story? What are they doing as he ascends? What are they doing? Stargazing. And the church has been tempted to do it ever since. The angel says to them, what I think God says to churches a lot, why do you stand there looking at the sky? Stop pining around as if the only thing we're waiting for is heaven. Jesus' prayer that we pray, may your kingdom come where? On earth as it is in heaven. We are not stargazers. Doesn't mean we don't long for the hope of God reconciling all things. Oh, that's we long for that. We lean into that hope. But we are not standing here idle stargazers. He says, go back in the city and get to work. <laughs> he commissions them. So here's the thing. What is he doing? God is calling us up and he's calling us out. They're stargazing. They're watching around for heaven. Here's the other thing. Did you notice what they're doing? They're all arguing about the calendar. Isn't it great church doesn't do this anymore? When, Jesus, when, 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 when? Is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? That was their question. You know what our question is? When's the second coming? When's the second coming? Is this the sign? Are we in the end times? Oh, look, you can have fun with that. I know some people love it. Go have fun with it. Here's my quick take on it. I've said before, I'll say again. Jesus said, even the Son of Man does not know the time of the hour. So if you can figure out when Jesus doesn't know, have at it. More importantly, this is what he says. Listen to the words of our Lord Jesus. It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. Throw the calendar away. By the way, I can give you the definitive biblical answer to when the second coming is. You know what it is? It's right now where it always was, just around the corner. It's soon, and it's been soon for 2,000 years. It's not for you to know the times or dates, but he says, I'm going to give you a promise, and I'm going to give you a purpose. Why are you here? Here is the promise. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit of God comes on you. I'm telling you, you can do a lot of things in this world. You can get a lot of success in this world. You cannot do and live out the reason for being on the planet without the power of the resurrected Christ. And here's the great thing. He offers it to you. The Holy Spirit will come on you. You will receive power when you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, he says. And here's your job. You ready for it? The final job in our pathway. Here's the job. You will be my, what word does he use? Witnesses. I want to reclaim this word. I want to hold it up and say this is a liberating word. You know what I used to be told, and again, it's a great biblical word. It's just we've messed it up so badly. I used to say my job was to be an evangelist. 
We are to evangelize people. My problem with that in my own, there's, it's a great word. It means to tell good news. If we can reclaim it, I've been trying to do it this whole series. Let's tell the good news. Let's reclaim that word. But for me, evangelism, honestly, most of my life, it meant going and knocking on doors, inviting people to church, trying to get them to do something they didn't want to do when I didn't want to do it either. I'm just being honest. That's what it was. <laughs> I love this word. Jesus says, you don't have to figure it out. You don't have to go study something. You are witnesses. If you are in Christ, you're a witness of the resurrected Christ. And here's what's so liberating of this. This is what's so wonderful about this. To be a witness, what do you have to do? I was sitting here preaching this, and, and uh, Judge Steve was in, right there in front of me, so we did a little dialogue. Brian, where did Brian Hyena hide? Is he, there you are. Right? So I'll do this with, with the lawyer that I can see pretty close. What's the job of a witness? It's pretty easy. What's the job of a witness? Say it again. It's so powerful. Tell the truth about what? About what they know. That's it. It's not the job of the witness to get up and talk about the 25,000 things they don't know. By the way, my greatest excuse for not doing evangelism is people are going to come up and ask me a bunch of questions I don't know the answer to. Great. Don't talk about that. Right? You're a lawyer. You know if somebody's on the stand and they're testifying to something they don't know about and they didn't see, we have an objection for that. What do you say? Objection? Hearsay. <laughs> we don't want to hear that. We want to hear what you Listen, how liberating is this? Hear me. To be a living witness of Jesus, here's all you have to do. Tell the truth about what you have seen and what you do know. That's it. And it's so ridiculously easy. In John 9, there's a guy that was blind. And they came up to him and said, what happened to you? He said, I don't know anything about all your theological debates. You're arguing about all sorts of stuff. Here's what I know. I was blind. Now I see. Jesus did it. That's witness. <laughs> Listen to me. Everyone in this room, if you are in Christ, has had Jesus touch you in some way. I mean this in every way that matters. I was dead. And Jesus brought me back to life. I don't know the answers to all the second coming questions, all that stuff, but I can tell you about that. Can't you? Tell the truth about what you do. No, that's what you get to do as you live this thing out. And there are other ways we practice living it out. And so we'll, we'll, we'll end with, I want to give you a picture of what this looks like. Here's the way we think about it. And a lot of these things, there's different categories. So think about living it out maybe in three ways going deeper. First one, talk about service mission and witness. Service mission and witness. Service is simply plugging in here first, right? This is our first responsibility is to, to take care of the family of God. I ran into Nicole. I don't know if you're in here, but Nicole, I had not personally met you before and we talked. Ran into her before first service where probably while things were going on first service, you know what she was doing? She was making coffee for you. She's in the back room. Nobody saw it but me. She's making coffee for AFC. She's serving in our church family. And it takes a bunch of different people to serve. I'm not talking about Sunday morning. I'm talking about the lifeblood of this church. I'm looking at people who never stop serving. Because you're doing stuff day in and day out to do the mission and the work and the kingdom work of God in this church. Start here. Find what your niche is and then share it. But then God will keep pulling you a little bit. Maybe, hear me, don't hear this to say, here's a bunch of things to do. Just look for God's open door. Then we talk about missions. I love, this is the first church I've been at where I don't have to define missions as that is both local and foreign. You get that, don't you? You literally do. Missions is local missions, ministries that we do here, and it is on the other side of the world. But then this last one, here's the, here's the biggest dream. Can we just be living witnesses? 
We're just, we're just living it out. Like, God rescued us, and we're a mess, so we could just go kind of bless other people and be a mess too. Joel, would you come up here? I, I had a conversation. This is how I want to end. I love not just giving a story that depicts this. I want to give a picture from our own church. And uh, I love Joel Hammond. Joel um, is one of these quiet servants who is just living out the pathway and living out Jesus day in and day out. He hates doing this, by the way, so give him a break. Um, he loves just living it out and let people like me run their mouth. But we had a conversation after class one day. It was before I even got really much into this series. And you were just talking about how God has led you. Listen, as he tells this little testimony here of how he's literally walking the pathway out just instinctively. And you kept talking about it. I'm like, my gosh, you're just like literally living what I'm inviting the church to do. So we started to talk about when you first came here and you want to start plugging in, pardon the pun, you literally started with like sound and a sound booth and technical things like that. Talk, talk a little bit about your journey of just kind of asking the question we're inviting everybody to ask. What's, what's next? What's the next step? Talk about that. Well, um, first of all, you know, I've been here a long time and I've been involved in the sound ministry a, a long time and mainly it's because it's needed. I've asked to do it. So I've been doing that for a long time, and I enjoy it. So that's kind of, I guess, my niche. Um, a few years ago, I started uh, trying to look beyond that. I was because, although this is our family and this is first priority, uh, we're also to witness to the world. And I wasn't thinking of it in those terms, uh, but witnessing is a good uh, word for it. So I started looking around, you know, what else might God be doing that I could help with? And uh, it was announced that they needed some help with the, in the benevolence, the upside down caring group. So I joined that and I really learned a lot doing that. Um, people would come to our church needing help usually for rent or utilities and I would meet with them and I would just listen to their story and talk to them and what I learned was they had lots of hurts and lots of needs and the, the money was just the tip of the iceberg. And what they needed more, I think, than anything is just somebody to listen to them and somebody to care about them because they would just sometimes blubber if you just, I could just listen to them and not even ask questions and they would, they would just keep going. So I just learned that there's a lot of people here that are needy in many ways. Um, and I hit pause real quick because okay. you don't like bragging about yourself, but I just want to point out what I love that you naturally do. You said, I don't even use this word for it. I'm just doing it. Your gift, some of us like to talk a lot. Your gift is listening. You'd rather be doing that than doing this right now. And sure. thank you. You're like, okay, I, I, I'm going to step into this thing. And seriously, God puts you in a place where your natural gift is to listen and care for somebody else. Mm -hmm. But then God took you a little bit more than that. Yeah. Um, one of the needs that people have, especially when they're struggling with finances, is they, they, they have to pay the rent and the utilities. So other things get neglected. neglected. And one of those things is um, kids. They're, they're kids. Um, if you have multiple kids growing up and you're struggling with rent, you might not have money saved up to go buy furniture. So the kids might be sleeping on the floor or on the couch or just on a mattress, sometimes air mattresses. So I heard about um, uh, something going on in Fort Worth. It's actually going on all over, but I, I learned about a bed building thing where you can build beds and take them and 
uh, give them to families, make the bed, and do everything for them. And what I loved about this was that you could engage people, not just help them with their rent, but actually go into their homes and meet them and talk to their kids. And um, I really believe that caring about kids that way engages not just the kids, but their parents. And later I learned off the, the other volunteers that are going with you. They know why you're doing it. The families that you're helping know why. And yeah. I didn't mention this before, but the why is the most important part, I think. Oh, I and that. that's where the witnessing comes in. Yeah. They understand that you're loving them and uh, they're touched by it. Yeah. The families, but also this is something we didn't talk about the first service too, but um, you notice that even every ministry we do, remember our core mission is to make disciples. So even the people that we're looking up here, the, even the people that are volunteering and helping out, you're making disciples, you're helping them be disciples too. Because mm -hmm. you're giving them a doorway into you, doing the very same thing you did. They may not be up here talking, but they'll love to go cut a board and they'll love to go do this. And, and so they're living out their discipleship in the ministry. Sometimes we think every ministry we do has to like end in baptisms. No, the ministry itself is discipleship. Yeah. And you learned that on a journey. And it's gotten people together in more ways than one. Uh, a lot of these volunteers are Christians, and some of them are not. Many are from this congregation, by the way. And uh, like last week, or last Saturday, I uh, visited with some lady that were Catholics, and boy, they just loved people. And I just love visiting with them. And they go to this, this one right here, so we... They, they drive by every day and That's awesome. wave at us while we're walking, while we're <laughs> waiting for them. So um, just meeting them and knowing that they're involved in these people too uh, is just great because it's, I, it's just engaging a lot of people in different ways, volunteers, the, the kids, their parents, grandmothers especially just love that we're helping them with their grandkids. That's so beautiful. And then the last thing, we, again, he didn't know where I was going with this sermon. But you talked about the latest thing God's tugging on your heart just a little bit. I thought, oh my gosh, Joe, you've got to share it. Like, I think God's doing something in this. So we'll end with this. Yeah. Well, it's, it's the why. Uh, the important thing is that they know why we're doing this. And it's because we love Jesus and we love them. And we're trying to be like Jesus. And that connects with them. Yeah. Um, if, uh, if they know we're loving them because we want to be like Jesus... That means everything. So uh, that's what I want to improve at and try to do better at and look for opportunities. And this, uh, this kind of thing does open up a lot, lot of opportunities. And it reminds me of all the other uh, ministries we have. Uh, and I keep forget. I don't, I don't want to leave anything out, but just Sunshine School, I House, anything where you're engage, engaging the public, the... Yeah. Uh, uh, the, the uh, the housing, um, what's it, what's, yeah. have, uh, family promise, family promise, yeah, that's right. it, those things I think are, um, it's just the way that we can bless this community is by engaging people like that. I love it, I love it. Thank you, Joel, for sharing that. Can we praise God for the work you do? But do you feel the natural progression in that? Isn't that beautiful? Service, mission, and witness. Like, God's just naturally. And none of that 
is in order for Joel to prove how good he is to God. Like he is in Christ and he's saved and he's celebrating Jesus. It's just naturally, him just naturally asking, is there another place you want me to, is there another door you want me to walk through? All right, all that to say this. Let's end with this. What would you say to Clay? What would you say to Clay? He's about to become a witch. There's no power in his life. He has no purpose in his life. I'll never forget what my friend Luke said. He said, in that moment, Clay did not need a destination. He needed a destiny. Take that in for a moment. Clay did not need a destination. He needed a destiny. He didn't need to tell somebody. He didn't need to tell him, look, after you die, you get to go to heaven. Here's a great destination for you. That wouldn't have got him out of the community he was about to go into. What he needed to hear about, that God had a destiny for him right here and right now and for the world around. So what he did talk to him about, he said, you had a horrible father. Let me tell you about a father who's everything he was supposed to be. And by the way, this father isn't just loving and amazing. He's a king. And he's expanding his kingdom and he's fixing everything that's broken in the world. And by the way, you get to be a part of that too. He gave him a destiny to be a part of right here and right now. Guess what? Clay did not become a witch that night. He became a follower of Jesus. And by the time I met him, Clay was sharing his testimony with us about how God had reached him as the new associate campus minister for his group in that place. I'd say he traded up just a little bit, didn't he? Here's the invitation. Just ask God. First of all, if you are not in Christ, please, please, we're not offering you a destination one day. We're offering you purpose and meaning and passion and hope and adventure for your life right now. Please come to Christ. And don't think you got to have it all together. I don't. None of us do. That's why we come to him. If you're in Christ, let's not stargaze. Let's just ask Jesus, is, is there some place on this journey you want me to lean into a little bit more in this season of my life? Not because you need anything, but because we really do believe that Jesus' life is what Paul said it. The life that is truly life. It is abundant life. It is extraordinary life. What is the next step to take into that life? And let's practice it together as God continues to bring his kingdom in this time and place. Father God, King Jesus, glorious Holy Spirit, we are so grateful that you offer us more than just getting out of here one day. You are invading this place with love and purpose and passion and restoration and hope. Father, I pray that you speak into every place in our life that needs more of you more of the places in our world. And then, Father, show us just one tiny step to take in your direction as you continue astoundingly to use us, part of your purpose. In the name of Jesus, we pray.